0: Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello, and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I'm so happy to be joined by award-winning journalist, producer, podcast host, and speaker, Noor Tagori. Noor's innovative storytelling spans across media and she has told stories in every medium from radio and print to documentaries and brand campaigns. In 2019, Noor founded At Your Service Imprint, a consulting and production company telling representative stories as a form of service. And in 2022, Noor launched her investigative series Rep, a story about the stories we tell. And she also hosts her own podcast called Podcast Noor. With a finger on the pulse of people's concerns, Noor's storytelling is recognized for her approach to fostering relationships across lines of difference. And I'm so excited to have her join me on the show today to talk all about her approach to mental health and the importance of investigating our own personal stories. Welcome, Noor. I'm so excited that I get to chat with a friend today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, my dear. So let's dive straight in. As a journalist and a producer, you are obviously devoted to telling people's stories. What made you want to become a storyteller? Because you actually started quite young. Yeah. I mean, I started my actual career...
1: At 15 years old, that was the first time I got a job in journalism and I've had a job in journalism ever since and I'm turning 30 this year. So my entire adult life, half of my life, I have been officially a storyteller, but it really did start when I was really, really young. I made it a habit to just ask questions and I'm very grateful that I was given the space to ask questions where when I asked questions, it was taken very seriously and I had an affinity for the elders. I remember when I was like 11, probably 11 or 12, my grandmother took me to a mosaic class at the senior center. And I went around and I interviewed all of the elders. And this guy who was a, I think he was a Vietnam War vet. He stood up and he said, when we first started this class, we didn't know more than each other's names. And now we all know each other's life stories. And I remember that such a feeling of fulfillment, Unki, said that because it was the first time I think I realized that like stories were truly a form of service and it's how we're able to cultivate our relationships with each other, cultivate our own curiosity and like piece together the story of us as individuals and as a collective.
0: I love that. A mosaic class. How fun. Yeah, I still have the mosaic. It was very, it was very cute. I just love hearing stories about people who just know so intrinsically sort of what they're meant to do with their lives from such a young age. Even if you maybe didn't realize that you were truly going to spend, you know, the next 15 years being a journalist, did you have any inclination or you were just like really (laughs) was the idea just, oh, I really like talking to people and, and, you know, finding out about their life. Totally. My dad eventually told me, you know, there's
1: like a name for the thing that you love to do, and it's journalism. And in our house, when you, I feel like a lot of children of immigrants know that the news is like always on, especially yep. growing up in an American Muslim household post 9 11, like the news was always on. And so, and I was learning from both my mom's taste and my dad's taste. And news. like, my mom. 4 p.m. every single day since I was a child, Oprah was yep. the storyteller of, yep. of the household. And then my dad was often watching Al Jazeera and he had the Arabic uh, television channels, CNN. And so I had kind of this balance of both. And I loved being the idea of being on the ground and reporting in different places. But I also really loved the intimacy of just sitting on a couch and interviewing people. And now as I'm reflecting on it, I noticed that Seeds of how I approach my work now were planted at a very young age because I I really try to do everything that feels true to me or that I really love. But I also know that asking questions, it doesn't, you don't have to approach it as a profession. I think that everybody has, asking questions is a birthright. It's a birthright. We so choose Mm -hmm. to claim that right and to understand that you will not get in trouble for asking questions, questions, asking questions is never a sin, it's never bad. Even though people make you feel like it might be, or people try to intimidate you into not asking questions, that fear is totally a projection of, if you start asking questions, then I'm gonna have to start asking questions of my own self and my own beliefs, and that can make people really uncomfortable. And so one of the questions I'm asking myself lately is how are we cultivating spaces that protect people's journeys
0: and protect people's right to ask a question. I love that because as you were speaking, that was the first thing that popped into my mind of like, a lot of times children are told not to ask questions or, you know, you get a little slap on the hand for being nosy, but children are just naturally curious. So, and they also have a lot of the answers that we're trying to come back to. I say this to my 12 year old brother
1: where I'm like, Yassine, but well, his name's Yassin. Yassine, just know and hold on to the curiosity and the wonder that you have right now because there are so many adults who are trying to find their way back to the childlike curiosity and wonder that you have right now. So hold on to it. It is a gift, it's something that you need to protect because the world that we live in fights aggressively to take that away from you. And if we start, and he takes it very seriously when I say that to him, because you can see it happening already. And part of it is like really protecting the spaces of children and, and their curiosity and taking it seriously and being like, you are allowed to ask. I encourage you to ask. And I actually want to know the questions that he's asking because oftentimes the questions that he's asking are ones that I need to start thinking about too. I always feel like the answers are with like the children and the elders and everybody in the middle. Like we're all just, we're on the journey. We're like really trying to figure it out. And so we just got to dig a little deeper. Everyone's trying to do inner child work. Yeah. Go talk to kids. Know them because they have that curiosity that we did too. Do you think your little brother is also a budding journalist? That's a great, that's such a great question. It's funny because on my podcast, that the last episode that just came out, I interviewed Franklin Sermons, who's the director of the Perez Art Museum in Miami, and mm-hmm. Jason Sage, who's an incredible Syrian Cuban artist. And um, my little brother happened to be at that interview in Miami and he Aww. asked a question to them. I, I like passed the mic to him and I said, um, he had a very important question for the art critic and the artist, which was, what is your favorite color? And oh, it was wow. so beautiful because um, we learned that Jason Safe, who his art is so colorful and there's a sense of majesty to it. Yeah. He is actually colorblind. And so we've got oh, this wow. whole beautiful story about his experience and relationship with colors. And is he a budding journalist? I think he's just a curious person. He still really want to be an astronaut. And I just recently asked him if that's like still what he wants to do, because he's been saying that since he was like three. And he was um, saying, you know, I think a lot of kids always want to be an astronaut because they just want to go to space. But I think I'm more open to the possibilities. And I was like, I love that for you. Do whatever you want. And he, he, he does ask a lot of questions. And I just think that, like I said, it's a birthright. It's something that everybody has the ability to do. It doesn't have to be a profession, but it will enhance your journey
0: as a spiritual being living in a human body. It's what we're meant to do. Absolutely. I believe. Amen. I absolutely believe that. And in your work, you also share a lot of your own stories. How has like investigating yourself and sharing that with the world impacted your mental health journey?
1: That's a great question because... I have a very specific approach to telling stories. I tell stories through different mediums. So I always say story first, medium second. Mm. So whether that's documentaries, podcasts, a dinner party, a speaker series, a clothing line, like whatever it is, I always think about what is the story that we need to tell and how is the best way to tell it. And my last investigation rep, which you can see the podcast right behind me, that was an investigation into the state of media and representation and truth and objectivity. And it started out with this question of how has the way that we've covered or reported on Muslims and Arabs impacted our country as a Mm -hmm. whole. And just that entry question broke so many of my personal stories and collective stories wide open into like more universal questions about truth and objectivity and Being on a mental health journey parallel to investigating your story is, it almost is just, I don't want to say a requirement, like you have to do one or the other, but it becomes like a companion because when you start investigating your stories in yourself, which to me is often an entry point because I tell the stories that I really need for myself more than anything, the journey that you go on is one of healing and it will require you to prioritize not only healing your your mental health and your physical health, but your overall individuality. And I really have learned that approaching it that way is how we heal the collective. And Mm -hmm. for personally, sharing transparently how I approached asking questions about myself, investigating my family's story, has given me a sense of community that I had never had before, where we are all recognizing that we go on our independent journeys, but we also have each other to support. So for example, I just host, so after Rep, I started a cohort called Rep Club where I taught the investigation for 10 weeks to 40 people from around the world. And this past weekend they left yesterday. We had our first rep retreat up here in the mountains oh god, where people flew wow. went from all over. Oh my god, that's amazing. It yeah, it was so, so, so special because they're all on the journey. I call it the quest of a question. And so they all had like their entry questions. And then every week we would pull on what the questions that they were asking were. And as we shared with each other every week the questions that we were asking to the point where like now we're having these retreats in person and we're gauging where everybody is. There is such an incredible level of cushion and community that gives us the space to explore, to ask, to cry, to wail, to dance, to evolve, to grow, to do all of these things that make us stronger as human beings and give us a stronger spirit. So it's impacted my mental health. One, because whenever I do an investigation, that tends to be when I go back to therapy, because I, when you're asking so many questions that are personal, but in a professional setting, sometimes you have to make check-in with yourself so that you know that you're actually processing the information um, in a healthy way. But I think that the biggest um, thing that I've gotten out of this is like the routines that I've set into place so that I can take care of my mind and also um, how I've built community. So for my personal routines, it's, journaling, morning pages, it's painting, it's dancing, it's movement, it's asking questions that I'm too afraid to ask and expressing them in different ways. And then in the community sense, it's creating a a sacred space where other people who are going on the journey can hold space for mine and I can hold space for theirs and we can learn lessons from each other. So it's really like building the right support for you to move through this without feeling like it's
0: inaccessible. I know that that was like pretty dense, but it's been a really big journey. I think something you said in the beginning of your answer, I just really connected with because, of course, I share a lot of my own personal stories and, you know, my history with anxiety and whatnot. And I think, as you said, the two kind of go hand in hand of telling your personal stories, but also doing this, I call it emotional excavation. And yeah, I think the more that I've done it, sometimes I really realize that in in sharing my stories, it's not even about me so much anymore. It feels like I'm a vessel to sort of help other people connect to things that I might have also dealt with. And so it's a way for them to heal what's going on with them. And it's also just the act of writing it for me, I think has also been yeah. extremely freeing in a way that I could not have really imagined. And yeah, I, I have a newsletter that I started two years ago where I write a lot of personal stories. And it's just like been so cathartic to let go of a lot of this stuff that I've actually been holding on to for years and kind of like wanted to share, but still had these feelings that were, like, rooted in shame or fear. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just really powerful to, to share things about ourselves in the ways that we feel is safe to do so. If you think about it, and this is
1: how— this is, like, one of the findings that I found from Rep, which is that if we want to tell objective, clear, honest stories, then we have to know our story first because the only way that you will understand the worldview that you hold, the perspective that you hold is if you investigate and interrogate your own story. If you ask those really important, deep questions about who are you, why are you, how are you? Because a lot of times we think that Our story is like the standard or the norm of how everybody thinks because a a lot of times we surround ourselves with people who think the same way that we do. And that's how you end up getting this concept of traditional objectivity in newsrooms, Mm -hmm. which never really existed because most of the people in newsrooms were white guys who had a very specific perspective and that became like the neutral worldview. And if you told stories anywhere outside of that traditional approach, then it could be seen as a bias. When Christiana Montpour was reporting on the Bosnian War, she was criticized so much by her empathetic approach to reporting because she clarified who was doing the oppressing and who was being oppressed. And that kind of storytelling is so important, but can only be done once you have asked those questions about yourself First, so that you can understand that when you're reporting a story, whatever your perspective that you already have about the world, however it finds its way into the way that you tell the story, you can be transparent about it. You can understand how you're going to maneuver that actual reporting Um, and you can lead as a storyteller and show people how they can approach their relationships with stories. And when they consume stories, they can have an idea of, okay, well, if this person is being transparent about their approach and how they're asking these questions and why they're talking to these specific people, there's more of a trust that's involved and storytelling really does require trust.
0: And, you know, for so many of us, mental health is a journey, right? It is a constant (laughs) process of learning and growth. And I would love to hear from you on just a recent moment of growth that you feel like you've experienced in your journey or even like a moment that maybe you feel like really rocked your perspective and changed it for the better?
1: I mean, (laughs) this last year has been a series of that for me. Yeah, Uh, Truly. Yeah. I mean, rep was, you know, I was trying to understand representation and why the stories were being told the way that they were about my community or people that I related to. And then I realized I had to ask myself, what is the role that I'm playing in my own misrepresentation? Mm. And how can I take a step back in reevaluating who I am, the questions I've asked, the beliefs I've held. Um, Most recently, Mm. I've taken a step back from, I covered my hair for 15 years um, and I've taken a step back from doing that so that I can give myself the space to ask those questions from a clear and objective perspective. And the second you start asking really big questions that you may have been afraid to ask before, Mm -hmm. the world around you quickly changes because you're starting to see like people's reactions to your decisions or you're starting to see how people may lead with fear when it comes to taking a leap of faith and asking the questions that you didn't know you were allowed to ask. But I think that there is an element of like, sometimes the questions reveal themselves to you once you are ready. And that's why taking care of your mind and taking care of your heart is so important because it's how we actually create the space to be able to think about the questions that we can ask. Because I always say like, I don't believe in asking questions for um, an answer that ends in a period. I believe in asking questions with the intention of expansion and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And If you are able to expand your worldview, expand your perspective, expand your mind, expand your heart, then you have more capacity for truth, more capacity for love, more capacity for clarity. And that's really, for me, on my own mental health journey, that's what I've always saw. I remember like the the vision board that I made a couple of years ago like when COVID started mm-hmm. in the very center, I, I it was very spaced out. And in the very center, I wrote the words inner peace. And I didn't understand like why or what that meant. But I realized now that that journey of cultivating inner peace is one where you really have to go inward and do the work that it requires to move past fear and move in truth and in clarity and in love. And and it's always a journey, but it's like a radical one. And it's a ra- and it's a radical one to like approach with joy. One of the messages I got in meditation earlier this year was to approach this next transition with joy and with lightness because that's the radical thing to do. It's the big thing to do. It's the courageous thing to do. It's the one that protects your mind and protects your heart and doesn't open it up to the the harm that that people around you who are hurting, who are in pain, who may be living their lives in fear,
0: having their influence over over those parts of your journey. Yeah, you're hitting me like deep down right now because I, you know, I feel that like doing the work and just self-discovery is very fulfilling to me and has been for a long time. I think, you know, since I probably first started struggling with panic attacks when I was in middle school and wanting to understand, like, why was this happening to me? And how can I, you know, what can I do to make myself feel better? And and how has this changed the way that I see the world? And And I think especially like at that age, you're just so confused. And back then, of course, like no one was talking about mental health, but through the work that I've done, I'm able to appreciate actually like where all that work has led me Mm. and Mm -hmm. how much it has changed my life and how much I've gained from it. And at the same time, sometimes I'm like, I get it. I get why people are scared of doing the work because it legitimately is scary. It's really hard, but it is hard. You get so strong though. I know. And it's so rewarding.
1: Yeah. I mean, we also have to lead with the fact that you're a first gen kid too. And we are the first in our lineage to have the space that we do to feel our feelings. Absolutely. And that's a huge deal because we have, in our healing, we're healing the generations before and we're really? healing the generations after. And We're leaving our world a better place for whoever comes after us. But I think that a huge part of healing the generations before has been coming up for me a lot. And I'd be curious to know if it has for you too, where as you're on this journey, you're also like teaching your parents or your grandparents or your cousins or whoever And you don't have to teach them by preaching to them or telling them that they should go to therapy or telling them they should, whatever. But it's just like when they see that you're taking care of yourself and you're doing better and you're being better and you're more loving and more open and more clear, they are naturally going to start asking those questions for themselves too. And
0: even if they don't, like at least you are um, like a peaceful presence for them. Oh, absolutely. And especially because I've been living with my parents again since the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, that was another layer of doing the work for me is like, I am confronted with triggers on a daily basis. They're mirrors. Yeah. And I'm truly so thankful that I was in therapy and had that support to really navigate it because I don't think I would have been able to stay living with my parents for as long as I I have and I didn't need to be there after a certain point, but it was just like, I don't know, I didn't really know where I wanted to live. And I was like, this does still feel comfortable and um and is easy for me. But I think it made my parents also start to examine when they saw me get triggered, then they started also examining, well, what triggers me? Like, why am I having this reaction? Why am I reacting? Yeah so much to this situation because the communication in our house is just one trigger bomb after the other, just going off every day. And, you know, and so much of it really is generational, it's cultural. And yeah, I think I've seen a huge shift with my parents over the last three years. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's the best thing that we can ask for. You know, in the ideal world, the children will hopefully be better than the parents and the parents are better than the grandparents you're passing you we want to set it up so that we're we are creating better more open loving spaces for people and it's also it's all out of love I know that yes especially with family people can take things personally and can think that it's about they're you're attacking them you're setting a boundary against them you're whatever but it's nothing is ever personal It's always whatever somebody's actions are, reactions are, they're always about them. And so it's you have to remove yourself, give yourself the space. Sometimes that means taking a break from your familial relationship so you can feel safe in your body and know who you are before you engage and re-engage in a way that feels good for you and feels good for them. But I think that comes back to how important it is, though, to have and cultivate friendships and community of chosen family, too. So in your journey of healing your family and healing yourself and healing the future generations, you're also being supported by people who don't have a personal stake in this situation, but are also potentially going through similar things, at least similar feelings as you. And if we can feel our feelings together and move through them together and be like, oh, well, this worked for me, or maybe we can like, how can I hold space for you today? Or let me take care of dinner tonight so that you can just like, spend time in bed if you need to. There's all these ways that we can show up for other people and also ourselves, because I think it really all does start, start with ourselves. Yeah. I have seen the way people's lives have changed and, how, and I've experienced how my life has changed in simply choosing to
0: embark on the quest of a question. Absolutely. I know. And you mentioned community. Um what communities are you a part of that have helped you find support in your life? I mean, I have an
1: amazing group of friends, um, and I'm really grateful for that. And I really leaned into them this year. But I think the most potent community for me this year, this past uh, year and a half actually has been Rep Club, which is the cohort that I started with forty people around the world. And they just came for their retreat. and, they're really on this journey of asking questions. And I realized I want to be around people who are asking really big questions because that is your mind and is, is in a very specific state of openness, of curiosity, of wonder, and of non judgment. And so having that intentionality of other people who are going on there, even when I produced Rep, I knew as personal as some of the stories were, like this wasn't this didn't belong to me, that it belonged to anybody who was willing to embark on this. And so um, I realized afterwards that I was like cultivating the community that I needed to go through this next chapter of my life. And it has been such a treat because they have literally, they have traveled the world to meet each other, to spend time with each other, to be with one another, like all over the world. And it's so incredible. So cool that you, yeah, it's so cool that we have the capacity to do that. Like, I always say like, my goal is to create work that helps like people connect online and then move that relationship offline and we've been able to do that and we have an amazing at your service at your services our production company you have an amazing at your service community on discord and and then my friend i'm so intentional with my friendships and my relationships and female friendships specifically this year have really been medicine for me I'm so
0: fascinated by, you know, these communities that you're building. And do you just stop and think about, like, wow, this is so incredible that all of these people, like, want to mobilize with me and want to, you know, just come for the same purpose? Yeah, I mean, the purpose
1: is just openness. That's the thing is, like, the purpose is stories and the purpose is openness. We throw, like, at-your-service dinners Mm -hmm. and the dinners, like... It's so wild. I went to like my friend's um, artist. He He's an artist and he had a gallery show. Um, and at the show, I saw like the two photographers that I've been working with for almost 10 years who are from DC. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see her. And they were like, yeah, we met Timothy Goodman at your dinner that we were shooting. And now we're doing this and we've connected. And now they're working on a whole other project. And I find out along the way that like people who have met at our dinners, who have met at our events are like collaborating and working together. And it's kind of like, when you spend time building trust in community, there's like a stamp of approval. So people know when they come to our events, they're like, everybody here, like they may be in completely different industries, right? have complete, like, it's not a career thing. It's a, what kind of human are you? How can we build together? How can we be in community together? Yeah. And um, it's very, it's very powerful to just find people who are open, loving, and who are curious. And uh, I think I used to associate community with the people in your geographical location or the people who shared the same faith as you, especially if you grew up in a religious household. And now I'm just like, actually community is whatever you want it to be. Community is, because it's not really community if you feel, if you're being bullied or if you're feeling shamed or if you're feeling hurt. It's community when you feel safe, when you feel loved, when you feel like you can say the most wild thoughts, ask the most wild questions that are inside of you. And then people around you will just be like, Oh, cool. I'm actually asking that, too. Or, oh, I have never thought about that. Or just silence, but they're holding that silence with you. And I think that that's a magic that we really tapped into with At Your Service that we try to
0: preserve in every single approach that we take with telling stories. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, after going through the pandemic and being in lockdown, like people are more thirsty for community and like for these in real life experiences and being able to connect with one another. Like I also, you know, I feel like a lot of studies have come out of just about like how lonely people feel.
1: Well, loneliness, yes. And loneliness is not a new thing either. Like we've had a loneliness epidemic. I remember when I was in college, I started this like live series called Just Say Hello on this old live stream uh, site. And of course you did. Yeah, I literally shot this video in college and I just had all of these strangers from around the world get together. And it was because this study had come out about oh, the loneliness epidemic in this country. And I don't know, dude, I really am just, things don't ever have to be this serious or this sad or this dark or there's, yeah. I really have learned that joy, joy and lightness is actually the most radical thing. and brilliant. The system that in the culture that we live in, it's, I don't want to say they want you to be sad and depressed and in these like dark, dark places, but it, it is like really a breeding ground for that. And so if you're going to choose to put yourself in these spaces of community, and that's why during the pandemic, I've also really loved virtual community because yeah. even for example, like one of um, the beautiful rep club members that we have who was at our retreat, who came here, um, she is battling cancer. And when rep club started, it was like the first community in a long time that she was able to be a part of because it was accessible to her, because it was yeah. virtual. It was like that and the accessibility of it geographically. There are people who are hungry for community. There are people who share the are are sharing sentiments, journeys, and ideas with you. We've also started book clubs. We've started these dinner party series there are people we're not obviously we're not the only ones out there We're doing it and we might not be the best one for you but like join join a, a community that is um that feels right for you that comes together whether it be for like doing the artist way together or reading a yeah. book together or a podcast that whatever it is because even you might find one person you might find two people you might find, but you'll find your people if you want to but again just like asking questions is a birthright yeah and but you have to you have to claim that right that goes i i really believe that that is the same with community like you have to believe yeah you deserve to be in community yep. you have to believe that it is something that is for
0: you too and admit to yourself that you want it and um and i think the same thing goes for joy as well right because even as you oh, were yeah. saying you know that our culture kind of breeds this air of wanting us to be sad and depressed. And, and I do think in a sense, they also make it seem like happiness is unattainable unless you have this product or you're thin or you're white and you're blonde or you're this. There feels like there's a lot of barriers to entry for happiness and joy.
1: Yeah. But, and this is, this is why I'm like, so it gets me so frustrated because I'm just like, we've, but we always talk about this now. And at some point we got to like, just decide we're gonna step out of this. Like you just don't adhere to that. Like we're good. You can have that. That's not for me. I'm good. I'm gonna step out of this and create from scratch the world that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. Like I actually
0: just um, sure. last week did a silent retreat at a Buddha center. I keep so many people keep telling me that they're doing silent retreats and I need to do one. It's so
1: important. It's silence is so important. It's just such a recharge and it's so clarifying and In your silence and in your clarity, like when you just take time to pause, you really get to reevaluate what the world that you actually want to live in is and how you play the role in creating, like how you are the creator of your own world if you want. Yeah. If you claim that responsibility, because somebody's going to do it for you. And it can be you or it can be someone who doesn't really have your best interest at heart. Yeah. And I've really thought about, you know, there's that quote, of be the change you want to see in the world and the, in that we don't we can't change people we can only change ourselves but i've really um finally started to understand what that means because like when you change yourself you change the way that you when you change yourself and invest in from this place of investigating and understanding your own stories then you're able to really change the way that you see the world and once you change the way that you see the world the world itself actually changes because everything is perception and everything is is um what you've created in your mind so it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a simple thing to do.
0: Yeah. I know. It's like the quote I always see. It's like, we we don't see the world the way it is. We see it as we are. 100%. Because it's impossible. No one actually,
1: human beings are not capable of understanding the actual capacity and the magnitude of the world. If the fact that we only know, we've only discovered less than a percentage of the entire ocean and the depths of the ocean. I'm just like, y'all, there is so much about this world that we do not know. Is- so if you're going to overwhelm yourself with the pettiness and the and the low vibration conversations or the just the unnecessary drama, then just understand that you're playing a huge role in, in the world that you've created that doesn't feel that great. But if you want to step outside of it, you can like with your mind, like you can literally be like, I am going to tap it out of this conversation. That is just like, Low vibration, gossipy, and unproductive. Like I'm good on that. That's not for me. I'm gonna go spend my time doing this, or I'm gonna just choose to not let certain things bother me. Obviously, like there are huge things in the world and injustices in the world that like um, pain us and that allow us to happen to our compassion. But I'm really talking about let's let's bring it down here. Let's, <laughs> let's all it into ourselves because we have to. We sit down. can't do anything until we start with ourselves. Once you start asking yourself questions, the big questions of who am I and why am I alive, you open the door of possibility to incredible
0: change, growth, and revolution inside of yourself. Beautifully said. I am on the bandwagon. Shifting back to the work that you do when it comes to storytelling, you know, obviously a big part of that is developing relationships across lines of differences? And why is it so important to you? And how do you cope with challenging situations that can arise from that?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. I've always engaged in storytelling with people who think completely different than me, who have different stories and backgrounds. It's always been a journey of navigating uh, your personal feelings with how you engage with those stories. But one of the first questions I used to ask myself as a journalist is, how is the way that I cover this story going to impact the person or the community that I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And the reason I would ask that is because I saw how harmful the stories about my own community or people or even myself, because I had been misrepresented and misidentified so often. Mm -hmm. And so um, Mm -hmm. what I've learned and what Rep really also taught me as well, is the importance of engaging with every single person as an individual, independent person without assumptions of who they are until they show themselves to you. So I know that culturally, and this is, you know, people might have different perspectives, but this is something that I'm working on myself, but even just like the generalizations of, oh, white people, or, oh, Arabs or, oh, Muslims, or whatever, that generalization as satisfying as it might feel to use it and because it's quick and because it's easy it happens all the time I am very guilty of that Mm -hmm. and also I recognize that one when people do that to me when people have done that about Muslims or Arabs or whatever like it's so harmful and it really directly hurts us but it also as the person if you're a person who makes those generalizations and you're also hurting yourself you're minimizing your worldview you're not you're not keeping it open to the expansion of how colorful the world actually is and how everybody is really their own person. So I have really uh, tried to step away from labels and generalizations. I think that those are very, very dehumanizing. Um, that's what I found in my own investigation, you know, around representation. And I want people to fill in the context of their own story as themselves. So I that's why I always try to personalize things because I'm just like, Nobody can speak for everyone or an entire group. Like I was often put in positions where I had to speak for an entire group. The amount of pressure that put on me as a child, because I was a child, is, I'm still healing from that now. I'm still having to move through all of that now. And so that's why now I'm like, I represent no one but myself. Whatever I say in this interview today is who I am today. But by the time this interview comes out and people listen to it, I might have changed my mind on some of the things that I've said. And that is absolutely my right because I'm an evolving being. And so I try to uh, protect the integrity of the stories that I tell by giving that grace to the people that I'm talking to, because they are also in their own journeys, in their own evolutions. And if I make any generalization about them or label them or try to fit them into these little boxes that I've so like uncomfortably been shoved into, mm-hmm. then I'm doing wrong by them. And so I, I mean, listen, it's that old, old age saying, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like getting to a place where you recognize that you also deserve to be treated with grace and with dignity and as an individual person who doesn't represent anything more than yourself. And then I just try to apply that to everyone else. And the more that I do that, the more fantastic the stories become.
0: And now let's talk about social media for a little bit, because, of course, as a journalist, it's an invaluable resource, necessary place to be, especially when you work for yourself and you're building communities, et cetera. But as we all know, it can also be an extremely toxic place. Um, How do you approach and use social media in your life? Mm -hmm. I have
1: an interesting and evolving relationship with social media. Don't always have it on my phone. So I also am not on my phone as much, especially because, you know, we live up in the mountains. Like I don't really have that much service. I spend a lot of my time in we have a cabin, like a guest creative cabin. That's where I like to do a lot of my work. So I try to keep the apps off of my phone, but right now they're on it and it's been interesting. I'm very aware of my relationship with it. I try to, like I said earlier, use social media to find community and then take us off of it. Or for example, like in this very moment, I'm using social media. I'm going to a documentary film so premiere tomorrow about the Afghan women's soccer team. And I'm, I'm using social media to try to find an Afghan designer to support for what I'm to aware to the premiere. Like right. I use it to find people and yeah. to engage in conversation and to share the questions that I am asking. Because I grew up on social media too and my whole career has kind of been on the internet I have gone through a lot of iterations of how to not take things personally. And I'm a big believer in what people say about you is none of your business and it's never about you. And I remember, you know, sometimes when it gets really hard or really negative, I'll delete the comments or I'll block them. And and Adam, my husband and partner and everything was like, why are you protecting the, pe- like the people? Like, why are you protecting right people from seeing it? Why are you protecting people from exposing themselves as, like, hateful. Like, you know, you don't need to, like, spend your time engaging with this. Just let it be. And now the way I've reframed it is, like, when people... I call it exposing themselves. When people expose themselves as, like, very hateful or very negative or whatever it is, they come out of the woodwork. You just get to block them so that they're not in your energy and you're doing them a favor. That is doing them a favor. You don't owe them anything. I'm also very much a believer. And the unfollow is never personal. I agree. Follow you has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean you guys have beef. It doesn't mean just they're not unfollowing you. They're unfollowing your profile, which is not even you. And it doesn't have your essence in it. It's not your humanity. Chill. It's not that serious. And so I totally reframe that. I'm like, you guys, if I'm not your cup of tea on the internet, that is great. And you protect your time. Yeah. So I really reevaluated My intentions with how I use it, and making sure that I
0: never take anything personally. Which is, it's always, it's still a journey, but at least in my world, I know it. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the day, you got to do what is right for you. Also, let's talk about experiences of discrimination because obviously those have a, you know, have a huge impact on our mental health. And how have experiences of bigotry impacted you? And how do you rise? Above the criticism and the hate, and you know, you've even mentioned a few times about the amount of times that you've been misrepresented, or you know, I remember a very viral misidentification that you had with a certain magazine. Yeah, I mean,
1: here's the thing that like is also a part of the like my me me being able to float above that now. And I say float above it because that's when I really feel like I feel like I'm looking down at like the chaos and the mess, and I'm just like wow, that's wild. That's wild. That has nothing to do with me because I remember the other day something came up and Adam was like, man, I'm really sorry you're being dragged through the mud. It was because every once in a while people um, love to talk about the fact that I was profiled in Playboy magazine and I did an interview about my work and people hated that or loved it or whatever. There's very strong feelings about it. It was like literally seven years ago and people still talk about it. Anyway, so it was being... um, Debated again. And he said that he was like, I'm really sorry that uh, you're being dragged through the mud. And I was like, I'm right here. I'm not being dragged through the mud. And I like got really emotional and I was like, my name might be being dragged to the, through the mud, but but my name doesn't need my protection. My name literally means light. And if it needs to bring light to certain people, then that is totally okay. And the side funny note is that nobody ever spells my name right. Even though my name is so clear, it's so simple and so uh, easily spelled, nobody spells it right. So I'm just like, not only are they not dragging me through the mud, they're not even really dragging my name through the mud, they're dragging their perception, literally their perception of me. It's hilarious, but it is so not me. I think what's difficult about those situations. And sure, I I throw in bigotry and discrimination all in that love because it like, yeah, it's it's all like projection of people's hearts. Mm. When it makes me sad, it's when I'm like, damn, dude, there's just so much work to do. There's so much work to do. There's so much more. And I don't take that on as like that work is my responsibility. Right. And I have to fix the world because that's like not that, that that's how it works. You have to fix yourself. You have to work on yourself. Right? And so I really just like kind of, I take it as like a pulse check. I'm like, oh, this is where we're still at. Or this is where certain people are still at. Or this is what's like still activating certain people. So I observe it because that's how I find stories that I need to tell next. And my, one of the stories I'm really focusing on right now is around spirituality and faith. And in these conversations when people expose themselves, I'm like, this is all research for me. Those incidences allow me to reframe how I approach them. And the the way that I've been reframing a lot of them now is just as research. It gives me a pulse check on where certain people are at. And I get to use that research to develop the questions that I ask for whatever
0: story I'm covering. Yeah. I know. Even for me, sometimes when I I feel very fortunate in that I've never really experienced like a lot of hate or getting attacked on the internet. But there's been like little tiny things over the years, but I always kind of come back to like all of that noise is happening just on here. If you just put the phone away and go outside, yeah, everything is fine. I mean, yeah, dude, it's just
1: like a reminder to look up. Whenever it gets hard, I like try to go outside and I'm like, oh, this is what's real. Like this tree is real. That flower is real. This Exactly. This is what is real. That's what's real. And you get to decide because you get to create the world that you want to live in. And so if you want to live in this world up here, then you have the ability to turn off the world of the little box.
0: And now before we wrap up here today, I wanted to give you the opportunity to leave our audience with a final piece of advice or just a parting message? Ask the question that you're afraid to ask out loud. Perfect. Thank you so much. Noor, this conversation was just everything. I wanna give a huge thank you to Nora for coming on the show today and talking about the importance of telling our stories And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support to those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash brave together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine You presented by Maybelline New York.